Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns Oscar 2023 special edition podcast. Woo! Woo. Yes. (laughs) Take my podcast name out of your fucking mouth. I'm just kidding. Oh, topical (laughs) humour. God, was that only a year ago? It feels like so much longer. It feels like it's just been a part of the culture now. How are they going so to? Long. How are they going to uh, memorialize that? They must. They're going to have to reference it. Maybe do a little anniversary mm. of it. They're going to have well, to up the ante. Someone's going to have to get stabbed or shot or something. I think. I think at the ceremony they should just have an empty seat with like a little name that says Will Smith on it, just to highlight that that would have been his seat. It is a, an occasional tradition, isn't it, that they have the previous year's best actor and actress winners come onto oh, the stage is, to present it? the trophies to the next... Like, they don't always Aww. do it. I'm guessing that they're definitely not going to be doing it this year. So. <laughs> uh, they bring him in. <laughs> they bring him in on Zoo. No, they bring him in in, like, a Hannibal Lecter. Well, <laughs> I suspect they'll offer it to Chris Rock. And sadly, I suspect he'll decline. Uh, and they'll have to find someone else. But it'd be great if he just came out and did some really hack shit, like you know, <laughs> not slapping people. What you're supposed to do? That kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, you didn't slap nobody. Want a cookie? <laughs> you know, really, really hack like shit. He's better than that. I told you, didn't I, Alan? I saw Chris Rock shortly after that happened. Uh, on you know, uh, uh, yeah, performing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not just, not just for. Teen crumpets, yeah. uh, and he was very classy, very classy. He never, he, he barely, he barely mentioned it. He just, uh, he came out on stage, went Manchester, Manchester, let the applause die down, and then he kind of went, "I'm all right," and everyone sort of went, "Woo!" and that was it. And that was perfect. It was the perfect amount. <laughs> it is a pleasure to be joining you, gentlemen, for uh, yes. this year's Oscars uh, episode. Because I'm—I don't normally make—I I envy you guys with your um, dedication to experiencing every single Oscar film every year. Uh, I think that um, this is the most exciting bunch of Best Picture nominees in a long time, which is one of the reasons why I was quite keen to be on this podcast, actually. when By the time they announced it, I'd already seen a good few of them and enjoyed them very much. I think that might have something to do, Calvin, with the fact that, like, this is the first time you've watched more than one film nominated for Best Picture <laughs> since about 2011, I think. Is that... Uh, yeah, quite possibly. But, you know, a lot of them are just... You, you forget about, like, Coda won last year. I watched Coda, yeah, and what, at the time I remember quite liking it, but I can't think of anything it's about it now. And then I think of some... I think, remember, the one that really sticks in my mind is the Jeff Bridges film, Hell or High Water, <laughs> that I'm pretty sure I watched for this podcast years ago. And I think, why the fuck did I watch that? It was just, like, such a sort of nothingy kind of film experience well if i if um, i may kind of pick that up i will say i'm not doing this again <laughs> i can't i can't oh. <laughs> i can't do it if they start nominating five again we i'll do it but i can't watch 10 mediocre films that i'm not interested in anymore like just for no reason other than the the academy thinks they're good and i have no respect for their opinion whatsoever can i, can I ask you a question Ooh. alan yeah. Why have you built your life around this facade that you like the genre, the medium of cinema? <laughs> I used to. I think it's doing this podcast killed it, you know. <laughs> oh, he's going to hate British sitcoms soon. <laughs> you might be right there. No, I think 
I, I do. I've recently actually uh, joined a members-only cinema, uh, and they show like kind of more ob- slightly more obscure kind of arty films and European cinema. I went to see an Iranian film there, which is the best film I've seen all year. Um, and so I'm trying to kind of recapture that stuff that I like about hmm. the cinema, rather than the mainstream bullshit, which. You know, at best, I find entertaining, you know, and that's fine. I watch a Vince Vaughn comedy or something. But then, you know, also, I just find frustrating and annoying a lot of the time. So I'm trying to get, I'm trying to sort of recapture it, actually. But watching stuff that the, the Oscars think is good is not going to do it for me. Well, I, I'm kind of with Calvin here. I think this is a pretty solid bunch. It was a, it was a wacky bunch of films, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice mix of stuff. Uh, you know, I'm not. I mean, yeah, I'll give it that. Surprise! Uh, we're not doing all ten films this week. Uh, had you worried then, didn't I? Because no, we're we're splitting it in half. We're doing five this week. Five, two, two, five two next uh, episode, which may or may not be next week. Whenever, whenever the fuck these come out. <laughs> but my point is, my point in bringing that up is. At the time of recording this, um, we haven't seen all of the films, have we? I certainly haven't. I've seen no. nine of the ten. Yeah, I've seen eight of the ten. I have also seen eight of the ten. So far, Alan, you will recall a past episode of the show. I think I spoke about uh, how I have a big list on IMDb where I just average out the Best Picture nominees each year to right, kind of yeah. give the year a score. And obviously I've not seen... Uh, most, you know, I've not seen every film ever nominated, so some years where it's like one film or two films, it's a bit iffy, but just to get a general flavour currently, I've got this year at number 23 on that ranking, so that's that's pretty good Mm. going, and for for comparison, that is above uh, 2019 Mm. uh, the year Parasite won, sorry, 2020 but the films of 2019 so Mm. Which I've got at twenty four, so you know it's 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 a it's a solid year, I think. Mm. Yeah. Well, no? look, I, there's something I want to say up front. It's just I'll thought I'll, I'll say it right straight up, and then I don't have to say it for every film we talk about. Mm. Films should be ninety minutes long. <laughs> okay, I'm with every it. minute with you it. go over that is a failing on your part, and if you get to two hours, then just quit. You can't do it. You can't. You're not here. You can't tell a film story. Go and make TV shows. Go and write a novel. Don't make a film. I must say, this uh, is a, a very yeah. long bunch of films, um, and yeah, some of them um, are necessarily so, in in my opinion, anyway. But we'll, we'll get yeah. into it. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. They're all two and a half hours long, and I hate it. I'm with you in terms of sentiment, Alan. I. Um... I don't have a problem with the film being excruciatingly long, but the second you go over, like, 70 minutes, you would better be justifying at every last moment, like, within that film. Um, Mm. And I feel like, yeah, a lot of these don't necessarily... um... But yeah, uh, we always always do this in some arbitrary bullshit order. Uh, more arbitrary and bullshit than ever this year, because we've just randomly cut five films separate from five other films based on what we'd all seen. So I propose, guys, based on what we've got here, 
we do them in order of how much water there is in the films. (laughs) 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 Any better ideas? (laughs) We could do them in order Uh, of how foreign they are. Uh, Avatar's the most foreign one. Dirty blue aliens. <laughs> All right. Well, do, do you want to start with Avatar: The Way of Water? Because this is the only one that we're going to be talking about today that oh. I haven't seen. So you, um, you Calvin, you want to go from most to least water? Oh, oh, we could go from least to. I, I, it doesn't matter. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not watching Avatar: The Way of Water unless I can watch it uh, in enough, three simple. separate installments at home. Well, I can be on I my did. phone for a bit of it. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, I- I watched it whilst doing a jigsaw, so I didn't have to concentrate. <laughs> so I'm sorry, Alan, that you had to sit through that three and a half hour experience. Uh, but I, I'm looking forward to hearing both your thoughts on it. Quite honestly. All right, all right. Let's go. Let's go most to least water. Let's do that. So that okay. starts. We start with Avatar. Uh, okay, Avatar: The Way of Water. Do we have a sting for each film, Alan? Do you want to do a sting? A sting. Uh, yeah. Okay. Like a little- or, or should we introduce a new, new comedy character? Ding dong. Okay, hello. Who's that? Oh, look, it's it's Oscar-winning performance of Elvis Presley. Oh, <laughs> Avatar, the way of water, the way of water. Oh, oh look at go. those hips. Oh, wow, <laughs> he's gyrating. That is disgusting. Get My off. My sister's pregnant. How dare you gyrate your hips, Elvis Presley. <laughs> Oscar-winning performance of Elvis Presley. Uh, I don't know much about what uh, oh, Elvis said, you know what I mean? Wow. i tell you what, guys. Give that man an Oscar, whoever's doing that, because that is some solid acting right there, doing a silly voice and gyrating his hips. Anyway, uh, Avatar, The Way of Water. Uh, three, three hours, 12 minutes. I am flabbergasted by how many inside Hollywood people I listen to uh, on podcasts and things who are like, who genuinely, sincerely seem to think this is like a five star film and like, you know, a great piece of cinema. Mm. Um, I kind like, it seems to be because it's got good special effects, I guess, which it does. If you're, if you're, if you're impressed with, uh, CGI, and and you know right. Let's remember. Let's cast our mind back to uh, two thousand nine, uh, the long-awaited James Cameron the film Avatar. Time. Ten years in the making at that point, wasn't it? Avatar has just come out. It's it's doing gangbusters. It's pushing the medium forward. Oh my god, CGI has never looked this good before. Three D is the future. That was very very prescient, wasn't it? Uh, Avatar. Everyone loved it. <laughs> it was the greatest film of all time, obviously. Um, and therefore it made the most money up until Avengers Endgame became the new greatest film of all time by making slightly more money thanks to a desperate, like, extended <laughs> extra run just to kind of take it over the edge with a couple of hundred extra dollars, uh, $100,000 um a bit of accounting i think they did a bit of like reworking the books as well to try and make sure that they hadn't missed any any dollars that had been spent on endgame there and then they re-released avatar and it took the top spot again didn't it when avatar came out i went and saw it and i was pleasantly surprised by it it was 
I, you know, the visual, I was impressed by the visuals, and that's not something that I really care about that much. And the story was, you know, this very anti-colonizing, what's the Colony. phrase I'm looking for? Colonizing. To, you know, quite anti, you know, people coming over here, killing the natives kind of vibe. I thought that's that's a, a worthy message. I, yeah. It seemed that message seemed to get lost. People just seemed to like the action element of it. But I basically was pleasantly surprised. So before I watched Avatar two, I went back and watched Avatar again, and mm. again I enjoyed it. It didn't have quite the same impact, and it felt a bit um simple i guess is the word basic maybe um i think it it made its point but it, you know there's certainly no subtlety involved that's fine though i think that's okay what would you give avatar out of 10 for context alan, alan? i gave it an 8 oh yeah well same i mean i i i really enjoyed avatar when it came out and i agree i didn't think it was mm. anything particularly remarkable i didn't think it was like doing anything special other than pushing the envelope with uh, technology and special effects. But that was okay. I thought it was done well enough. It was a a genuine, you know, good time at the cinema. And I think that's okay if it's done well, which it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm with yeah. you. I also gave the original Avatar a pretty, pretty firm 8 out of 10. Mm-hmm. So the sequel yeah. has yeah. nothing to say. It's what just, here's some little interesting story about these people. I think you're fine, Alan. It's a pretty anti-wailing. <laughs> Ding dong. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Hello, it's Is me. Jim- it's uh, it's, it's uh, Jermaine Clement as a whale, whale biologist. <laughs> That's not I Jermaine hate- Clement. His voice is much I'm- sillier than that. I hate- I'm, do- I'm trying to keep it on, uh, on a leash for Jim. Jim doesn't like when I'm too silly, so I'm just gonna talk here about whales. I oh, I hate myself how much we're being mean to these whales, mate. That's Australian, but I'm not sure about that, Jermaine, because I I I, I believe he may have cut you out of the film. I mean, <laughs> look, certainly only in it very briefly. Look, uh, so I, maybe you should have done the same. I will. Like I will drill into the whale's brain and get all the goo out of its head, but uh, yeah. I'm not going to feel good about it. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, and that's my arc. That's my whole character arc. That's the all, all the way from start to finish. I feel bad about killing whales, but I'll do it. But presumably, you make some sort of supreme sacrifice to atone for your sins. No, no. Near the end, I sort of go, "Watch out for those rocks!" And uh, the the really bad guy that I'm on a boat with, he goes flying. The boat crashes. He goes flying, but I uh, I, I sort of survive. So I think I'm going to be in uh, Avatar three, four, and five. So is that is that why you're not really in it? Because it's just a setup for the next one. Uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Thank you for your input. All right, I'll, I'll see you in uh, 2025. Yeah. For 2025 Oscars, <laughs> all right? Bye. Yeah, you wish. Jermaine Clement is one of the recognisable people. He is. Uh, Kate Winslet. I didn't know Kate Winslet was in it until I saw the credits. Oh, you know what we should have done? We should have done this in order of how silly the voices are by bizarre supporting characters. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, what is she doing? <laughs> it's not It's not Tom Hanks in Elvis level, but she, she's, she's doing something <laughs> weird. Was she like the Queen woman? She's the water queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like these outsiders. I don't like them. Jake Sully. 
<laughs> that just sounded like uh, Catherine Zeta Jones, didn't it? That's not what she sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I felt like she was wasted. I thought she was kind of crap. Uh, Cliff Curtis, who's the bloke one, similar. I didn't recognize his voice either. I'm a big fan of him. So. Sam Worthington. They they uh, like dried Brought his... him out of retirement. Dried him out, didn't they? He's been on uh, his, his body's just been like ashes in a jar, and they uh, <laughs> sprinkled it out, dunked it in this uh, magic water Jim Cameron's obsessed with, brought him back to life. Haven't seen him in like five years, six years, seven years, ten years. Been making this film. Yeah, I think it took them that long to film it. And God, well, I, I can only imagine it must have been frustrating if you're like on a, you know, they're the like, we're, we're going to start filming next month and then it just gets postponed for 10 years and you just never can take any big jobs. But then Zoe Saldana has done all right in the meantime, I yeah, guess. Yeah, well, let's talk about that because I think Zoe Saldana is a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. I think she is the standout, standout performance from the first Avatar. Mm-hmm. I think she was giving a performance so good in the first Avatar that it was up there with the, hmm, should we consider whether or not these things are eligible for awards, along with Andy Serkis as, you know, whoever the fuck he's been playing lately? Avatar The Way of Water. Was she on set, do you think? Did she just, like, zoom it in? I mean, I'm sure Jim wouldn't stand for that, or Jimmy C, but it it didn't seem like she was... Well, it didn't seem like James Cameron gave her anything to fucking do, other than be a nagging wife who got in the way and, like, had two lines. She was a grieving mother. Yeah. yeah, but grieving as well, the performance there. Calvin, this is how Na'vi grieve, right? You ready? Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't grieving, that was anger. That was angry <laughs> grieving. Oh, no, my child, grie- my child! The was oh, don't worry, whaling. don't worry about your child, we've got to save the whales. <laughs> That's Avatar 2 here, right? In a nutshell. Um, Calvin, you know this film, right? I, I assume yes. having not seen it, you you know it's all about the water, right? The water of Pandora. Yeah. So you probably yeah, think it's yeah. like it's like the abyss. We go like deep down. We see we see a load of uh, like like anglefish and things like that. That you know, like oh, wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. colossal squid. Whoa! I can't believe these things. Like it's like Tron down here. It's crazy. Mm. No, it's it's like watching yes. a it's it's like watching an Instagram story of like the Navi's on holiday at the beach. They're just kind of like oh no. They're just sort of having a little swim in the shallows. Water's up to the waist. Didn't they make a big stink out of the actors were like doing motion capture underwater and how revolutionary well, that was? I just assumed the whole thing was going to be underwater. Yeah, they, <laughs> they swim out to like the shallows, you know, and uh, they'll like dive to the bottom of the shallows. <laughs> you know, it's like a few mm. meters down. So yeah, I'm sure for filming that, you know, Kate Winslet was doing her like seven minute world record attempt or whatever of like breathing under not breathing uh holding her breath underwater and all that shit but yeah Mm. it's it's just it's an incredibly small scale film to say it's like clearly one of the most expensive films ever made to look at it it's amazing how small it is and i don't think that's a good thing i think james cameron Mm. is intentionally um honing in on let's make this intimate uh and small in that sense but you kind of i think need to offset that with some huge like action spectacle and and there is like big Mm. action here but it never gets any bigger than some whales in the coral reef and uh there's sort of a big boat at one point in the coral reef it's it, it feels much smaller than avatar one 
as is the story, you know, it's the story of a family that have be that are you know running away from danger and then have yeah. to face the danger, you know. Yeah, and I'm and I'm being quite negative here, and I I I want to you know get that out of the way so I can be a bit more positive. I think this film's only real saving grace is in the cinema experience, which you deprived yourself of, Alan. I think it, there is something to be said for you know going and seeing the amazing spectacle, but. If you do that, I want like a fucking Death Star attack sequence, you know? I, I don't want some hmm. people pissing about in the shallows and the nice sun and just play it like burying each other and up to the neck or whatever the fuck they're doing. And it's just it's not a it's not a, we don't need three hours of it. Oh my god. Can um, I ask Go on. Uh, I'm I'm just curious, just what, what you said about Zoe Saldana having like two lines and and all that. Who are the main characters then? Because I thought she and Sam Worthington were the main pair of the first one. They are very much sidelined in favor of the kids uh, that they've had. They're kids, uh, Mike. That have obviously <laughs> it's it's set like ten uh, years on, I think, and you know more or less real time since uh, the previous film happened. Um, so yeah, yeah it, they are in it quite significantly, but they've got these teenage kids. Um, How many are there? Like four of them? Five of them? Yeah, and a Sigourney Weaver child. One of them. They've raised. One of them is uh, a real character with an arc. Uh, One of them is kind of clearly set up for the sequels. That's Sigourney Weaver. And then the other one. Mm -hmm. Oh, one of them is there just to die, spoiler alert, to kind of motivate other people. Um, Mm. And then I think there's another one who's just kind of there. Just as dead weight, <laughs> just to give them yeah. some stakes. Maybe she'll be a a lead in one of the one of the sequels as well. Um, but talking about the so the acting, I was very underwhelmed with that. I will say, Stephen Lang, I think does pretty good work here. Mm-hmm. He's pretty pretty ever dependable. He's chewing the scenery, but I think he is solidly entertaining in this movie boring character though all the characters are boring it's not great very, very, but I, the very basic yeah i'd say i'd say he's probably the most interesting character we get um i i agree he's not particularly great i hated the whole story with the feral child i hate um, that too and how that, uh, that went yeah calvin um remember stephen lang in the first one he's like an army general you know i love the smell of napalm in the morning kind of jarhead guy. oh yeah 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 so in this new one because uh, he dies, if I remember correctly, at the end of the first Avatar, does he not? Rather important end, really. Yeah, he's like the bad guy, that the the bit the the, the, yeah. the big bad at the end. Yeah. Hmm. So Avatar two opens pretty much with um, him, well, not him, but the actor playing a new role, emerging from a pod, and it's like, here, watch this exposition video because you don't remember who you are. Uh, so as you as you will remember. Uh, you are a clone of this character who died in the first film, but you've been cloned into a Na'vi body, so you don't have to do the Mm. Avatar thing of putting your mind into the body with technology. You just are a Na'vi. Um, And and you know what? They they take a pretty cheesy, stupid concept to bring someone back who didn't need to be brought back. But I think they actually do some pretty interesting stuff with it because it it is distinctly its own character. They do make a point that, well, I'm not this guy. I'm my own person. I've been given his memories, but that doesn't mean that I necessarily am the same being and I actually have slightly different motivations and so on. Um, I thought that was kind of 
interesting. And certainly his performance, he's the one having fun chewing the scenery. He's still an ultra dickhead, though. It's not like he's a different, oh, different he's a, character, yeah. particularly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a little bit of depth to him. There's more depth and dimension to what he's doing than any other character in this film. Mm. Apart from maybe Jermaine... I hate myself doing this to the whales. I, 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 took, I studied for five years to help the whales, and now I'm here chopping their brains into goo. I don't believe it, <laughs> so Brit. Is is the, the thrust of it like saving the whales? What do they want to farm them, harvest them for something? Or okay, like, let's, yeah, let's so try the, and the, 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 the bad humans okay. are harvesting uh, them, and uh, yeah, they're so. But obviously, it's not just it, it's not just so we want to save the whales. It's all it's like we are the water navi, and we are in tune, spiritually in tune with the whales. So if you kill them, you kill part of us. Rather than and the whales are smarter than humans even they're like ultra intelligent um they're mm. so smart they're like incredible what is it, it it's that this clone guy is like awoken to lead the expedition to hunt down jake sully who's still living among the navi because now they want to why do they want to get him <laughs> what, what's the motivation alan because they end up hunting the whales to draw him out, don't they? They're not there for the whales. Yeah, they end up yeah, teaming yeah. up with whale hunters. But no, the, to... the, the motivation is the last film. They, is it just the Navi won, and so it was like, yeah, if you if you've got a load of people out killing some locals and then they attack back, you go and murder them all. <laughs> Jake and everyone they take their family and they go hide. They go into like witness relocation with the water Navi. Mm-hmm. That is essentially how it works. And adapt very quickly. Yeah, they kind of get there. The water Navi all have like aquatic fin arms and feet and stuff. And uh, Cliff Curtis is like, Huh, look at the little arms! You can't be a water Navi! And then they do a little montage where they kind of swim. And, you know, Sigourney Wee was having a bit of a hard time keeping up. And then they're just kind of all right. They can just kind of swim fine after that. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> um, look, it's a bollocks, they, they stupid story. It's... Then they do get on. <laughs> but let let's not uh, let's not look past the point of this film. This is a an exploration of visual, um, technological advancement. You know, that's what Avatar's here for. Hmm. It's here okay. to look amazing. Um, so... and I, I and I. I think, you know, hats off to them. If you care... Because Avatar 1 was a big deal. It was like, wow, I've never quite seen CGI consistently at this level, at this scale, in this way. Avatar 2, like, we've come a long way. The CGI is a lot better, but it's more now in the weeds, the minutiae of, wow, I've never seen a a live-action human hand integrated with a CGI hand like interacting with one another. I've never seen the lighting effects on that done to quite such a good eff- like it's so the average audience member isn't going to look at it and think wow. It's like going from PS4 to PS5 graphics. It's like we it, it, there is a hmm. jump there, but it's so small because we're it's so good looking already. Um so yeah. it doesn't really bring anything new to the table. And I, I you know, I made a point. I was like, right, if I'm doing this, I'm gonna go to the cinema, I'm gonna watch it in full on high frame rate, I'm gonna do it fully in like an IMAX mm-hmm. screening. And, you know, I fully committed to the bit. And the 3D was amazing. High frame rate, I'm still not sure about, but I think I'm more open to it than many people. The problem with this film, uh, did you ever watch like The Hobbit in high frame rate, Calvin? 
or anything like that? No, I didn't in the end. No. Anyone who's listening who's seen a film in high frame rate, um, this is different to previous efforts in that James Cameron has taken on board that it kind of looks a bit shit uh, when you're just watching people mm-hmm. talk and so on. Um, and so in this film, he uses... It like jumps from shot to shot. You'll have one shot in like 24 frames per second and then the next shot is like whatever 60 frames per second and it's it's awful because i i think if the whole thing had been presented in 60 frames per second my brain would have gone well this looks weird but it's all cgi for the most part i'm adjusting to it the 3d looks perfect like this i'm i'm kind of used to it now after an hour of it uh maybe i like Mm. it maybe i'm on board with it but because every shot it was like juttery all of a sudden because it would like go back to 24 frames per second again it was like well, you, you couldn't dial into it so it just it just ended up being really jarring mm. and weird and anyway it, it made it look like the cinema was a streaming video that was struggling to buffer it was like playing Pokemon Violet and Scarlet, where you like you walk along and then one <laughs> character starts moving at like half the frame rate, and you're like, oh god. <laughs> oh, and and last point, like it's all about these amazing visuals, right? But the art direction isn't there. You know, I I went to see Puss in Boots two recently at the cinema, and <laughs> it is astonishingly beautiful. That film, it is incredible. The animation and it's down in large part to the art direction they've they've come up with this beautiful art style and really like worked with you know what they've got there and and taken some time to make it look good on that front and and to, you know design cool looking characters and so on avatar the way of water just kind of looks like a bunch of blue pricks that are like really boring <laughs> they're too realistic to look interesting they're just generic. They look like AI. If you said to an AI, make an avatar character for me, but it's like a G.I. Joe. Ah, oh, here you go. So, mm. uh, I think this looks amazing, but the art direction isn't good enough to justify it. Um, so, I, look, I, I had a I had a good time in the film. The spectacle was still there in the cinema. I just about could sit through it, thanks to all the technology, all the 3D, all the gimmicks, Whenever I got hideously bored or I was sick at some like awful writing, there's a lot of awful writing and holes in logic and awful motivation and awful structure, and there's no emotional depth. I, I never once began to draw me in on an emotional level. Mm. Um, yeah. But to just sit and watch things explode, okay, interesting. And I still kind of respect James Cameron for sticking to his guns and making true blockbusters get out of your seat, go and see it in the cinema films. So look, I'm going to be very generous here, and I think, Alan, you're going to counter this probably, so I don't feel too mm-hmm. bad about it. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. And that's really like a, a 6.5 I've rounded up, but I'm giving it a 7. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, look, I've mean, I got to yeah, admit, I didn't see it at the cinema. I, I would have, but it wasn't available anywhere near me when I came around to watching it. But also it did not engage me at all. Um I I gave up on it pretty quickly. Didn't care about anything that was happening. I think I would struggle to watch this not in the cinema. I will say that yeah, much. I think yeah, without I those gimmicks I would not. Yeah, I mean it it just felt like a mediocre action film that didn't have anything to say. Um 
So James Cameron's been throwing so much shade at the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and he can fuck off. This is like a this would be like a a bottom tier Marvel movie, although the special effects are better. Great. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I just it was pointless. I just not like why why have you made this? Two billion dollars. Um, I give it a five. Hmm. It was there was nothing wrong with it really. Except it was just boring. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm not convinced anyway. Well, no, I'm sure I'll see it one day when it's free on a streaming service. But I'm not convinced you will. But uh, nah. <laughs> uh, second most water in a film this, uh, of these five, Triangle of Sadness. I guess they're on a they're on a boat, mm. aren't they? There's a lot of water in that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm, Should we talk water. about that? Mm. Yeah. Go on then, Calvin. You've barely you've barely spoken so far, so you can lead this one. Yeah, I'll go first. Um, I just watched this it's a couple a of days ago. Of sadness. <laughs> All right, there we go. Just <laughs> nice segue. Um, I I just watched this a couple of days ago. I saw it at home. Um, on Amazon, and I've been really um into the White Lotus recently. I don't know if either of you guys have seen that series. Um, it explores a lot of very similar ideas. And uh, similar kind of humor, I I, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I do prefer the White Lotus to um, Tri- Triangle of Sadness. I also I also saw the Menu recently, the Ray Fiennes film, which again I think dealt with some similar themes in terms of the rich and yeah. If anyone has seen the Menu, um, I feel like this film, Triangle of Sadness, is one of the courses. Uh, that this course is like the little bits of green shit off the island presented on the rocks with a salty misty spray at the start of the menu <laughs> whereas the menu itself is more like the cheeseburger that he makes at the end of the menu um, <laughs> so there you go, it's a very niche analogy that will make sense to <laughs> I, think that, I think that's quite cool I haven't seen the menu, um, I don't know what, <laughs> what that means but I'll take your word for it uh, I feel like I was on the cusp of absolutely loving this film in a few yeah. places, but for some reason, yeah. maybe it's length. Like I, I definitely oh, feel yeah. it's half an hour too long. Um, and and maybe some of the, maybe some of the satire is just a bit too on the nose. Um, I, I did laugh at a good few places, and I didn't yep. actually know where the where the plot was going. So there were a couple of moments where I, I was like, oh wow, mm. I really did not expect it to go this way. Um, but I, I yeah, I. I don't know. I think maybe maybe length, maybe just um, a bit too on the nose. Well, on on length, can I say I kind of feel like every scene in this film is three times too long, and it's yeah, it's it's like it starts and it says its piece, and then it just continues saying it. And I genuinely yeah. think if you if you didn't even look at it, if you just autom- if you created an algorithm that could automatically cut the last two thirds of every scene. You just watch the first third of each scene, and it kind of knew where each scene started and ended. I think this film would work, and it would work a lot better. <laughs> hmm. It just, it just, it was so plodding and tedious. Like you'd kind of mm. get to something and think, "Oh, this is an interesting idea. I quite like this," and then it would just keep doing it. And yeah. Well, let me ask you specifically about the opening bit, uh, which mm. establishes a couple. Um, the whole kind of first act, basically. I, d- I struggled a bit to fully engage with it, but I did think, oh, this is really interesting. I really like what we're doing here. I, I don't know about you, but I've certainly been in that kind of situation numerous times. <laughs> that You know, hmm. who's going to pay for this thing? This is fucking awkward now. 
this person is clearly <laughs> expecting, you know, they're acting like this is 50-50 and they're being all great and like a feminist and they, they're going to split the bill or they'll get it next time, but they don't get it next time. And, you know, it's just clearly, yeah. So I thought this is a very interesting thing to explore and I'm surprised I've not really seen a film get into this sort of minutiae here. But then it kind of after, like I say, it outstayed its welcome, and it just kind of felt like two people having an unpleasant argument. Yeah. Um, And I didn't feel like it, 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 like it almost just felt like I was having a, a, a row with my partner, and I didn't massively enjoy that. Yeah, well, all um, that scene, and then the hotel scene, where really what we're doing is establishing those characters. Do you feel like any of that help to contextualize those characters for something that happens later on yeah i'd say about a third if of you, it if that if that film <laughs> started on the, the boat if that film started on the boat would it make any difference no mm, really. i was thinking that you know you, you get you know a little bit more about those characters but i don't think it really plays yeah, yeah, yeah. i don't think it plays off later anyway i think it gives a slightly richer depth to them they disappear for um, so much of the running time as well like in the middle yeah. bits that i was kind of like where where are yeah. they <laughs> i thought they were our point yeah. of view characters but i i agree yeah. alan i did think like oh wow yeah that whole opening act could just disappear and i don't know if not I to mention that opening scene not the very opening scene, which is really just a gag. Mm. The and then the 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 actual sort of opening chapter with those two, mm. it felt it, that felt like a different film to the rest of the film. You know that oh, that really? felt like a little yeah. a little indie Richard Linklater film about you know a couple. It felt like a film I'd much rather watch, mm. honestly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Uh, although, although let me, let me, I, I want to basically concur with what you guys already said. I really enjoyed it. It was too mm. long, and yeah, I think you know, right? You've made your point. But I thought it was fun. Uh, I I, was I liked it. I, I definitely did quite a bit. Uh, I thought it. you know, it made some nice points um, and explored those things without really giving any good answers. But I think that was the point, you know, and um, I, and it was all right. I was that. amazed. I was amazed at how many people were saying it's like hilarious and it's really funny when I started reading up on it afterwards. I didn't think it was particularly funny. And all I could find about people saying like, oh, I was crying with laughter was the the 20 minutes of people fucking throwing up, which was just just fucking pathetic. <laughs> it's like it's pure it's just yeah. grow up. Yeah, it's not yeah. funny. I mean, Family yeah, Guy but, does I mean, that, and the people talking about how funny this film is for having vomit for 20 minutes would like would would hate Family Guy. They'd be like, "Oh, it's so crass." It's it's like speculative. What? Because this is shot nicely. That means it's good, does it? Watching but no, that, I, I I yeah. think like I was fine with that scene. But you're right. It was just sort of yeah, cut two thirds of it out. You made your point. But that, well, that's the it. it. was like scene itself it. oh was fine God. and it was amusing. I don't think I ever found it funny. I think I always kind of found it like okay, there's a there's a wry irony here yeah um there was no there was a couple of times where i actually got a laugh out of me you know again to go out to the menu when i was watching the menu i actually laughed out loud you know there were bits in the menu i found like genuinely hilarious whereas this i don't know i just yeah yeah i liked the characters i liked the acting it was all kind of very silly i suppose but in a controlled way Woody Harrelson. How did you feel about the ending? Because I also didn't like that at all. I, I felt like the ending 
obviously it, it, it's got a very ambiguous ending this film and mm. uh it's very much like well we'll kind of leave it up to you to to decide what happens but I don't think that's acceptable. It, there's no need for it to be ambiguous. It's not like it's saying something by leaving it up to the imagination. And we've just sat through, like, what felt like three hours of this. <laughs> like, we deserve an ending. Um, two and a half hours long, this film is. We deserve a proper ending. So don't just fucking cut. Because, and, it, and it clearly is that way. It's blatantly a case of they kind of wrote themselves into a corner and it was too difficult yeah. to come up with something satisfying it's not like they're as a legitimate artistic decision i don't think it's just weak filmmaking weak storytelling so i I really didn't care for the ending either i know i know what you mean um i'm perhaps not quite as negative on it um i think it might have worked better if they played it off as a gag yeah i didn't dislike it It, i liked it again it just it, it like Calvin said, this felt like it had the ingredients to be something I really would have loved, and it was just very frustrating mm. because mm. it it yeah. felt ultimately yeah. quite messy and self indulgent and just okay as a result of it. Yeah, mm. it didn't feel quite like it gelled with that first act. Again, I keep going back to that first whole uh, chapter because it feels like it's so intensely focused on those two lead characters, and then to kind of end so ambiguously. It, yeah, I, I I agree. I agree. There's something missing. I it didn't make or break it for me. Um, I was okay with it. It also feels like it's trying to draw a kind of one to one parallel between the relationship of these two characters at the start of the film, where in a mm. nutshell they are two very wealthy hoity toity types. She earns more than he does, uh, but she expects him to pick up the bill in the restaurant even though she makes a very fake uh, show of, oh, I'll get it, but you're going to get this one, or, oh, you offered it, it, thank you. You know, she uses very manipulative tactics to basically get him to have to pay for it because he's the man, and the man pays for things, and that's how she feels it should be. Um, And it feels like it's trying to draw a one-to-one parallel between that and then at the end of the film where that same man ends up, like sleeping with an old woman for food like whoring himself out essentially um and it doesn't quite work because she isn't whoring herself out to him at the start do you know what i mean it's it's Hmm. it doesn't it's obviously about these gender balances and then they flip the gender balance and yeah okay i get that but it just it feels a bit messy like it could have been a lot cleaner like you know if the film opened with her and a much older man who she you know she's clearly with because he's very wealthy you know and then they flipped them around or something like that which we do see those characters you know we see those those people later yeah. on in a sort of similar way yeah exactly but I, I think it's all just playing with ideas of power dynamics and kind of all that sort yeah. of stuff without yeah. particularly trying to make a point necessarily other than hey look here's some power dynamics let's throw into the mix and see what happens um Mm. because you know it doesn't matter how rich and wealthy you are if you if you're throwing up you've you're you're still pathetic um (laughs) (laughs) but someone else is cleaning up after you so you know um Mm. and then you know if you're on a desert island what's money isn't important it's um you know yeah yeah who can catch a fish yeah 
I've seen a lot of complaints so, about the last third as well, because the last third they're on a desert island and it becomes a quite you know big concept. But if anything, I I I prefer that. <laughs> I want to see the desert island yeah. Lord of the Flies with rich people film more than <laughs> a bunch of pricks on a ship just like <laughs> bit throwing up and um. Anyway, yeah. Look, I I thought it was okay. I I. If it, it's kind of like how you feel, Alan. I don't feel like I've gained anything by watching this film, and I only <laughs> watched it because it's up for Best Picture, and so I do kind of feel like the Oscars have wasted my time. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> it was fine. I'd give it like a seven out of ten again. Hmm. For me, I, I, I actually this is the when I was did I say this on record or not? I can't remember. But when I was saying earlier that I'm trying to recapture my kind of love for film by watching kind of slightly more off the mainstream films. This is the sort of thing that I would go and see at an indie cinema because it won the Palm Door, so it's obviously got enough notice. It's going to start playing in lots of cinemas, but it's not really mainstream. Obviously, it's got the Oscars' attention now. But I would, I would enjoy this. I, you know, I would go and go. Oh yeah, that was good. I enjoyed it. It's just too long. That's the, the every and every bit. Is, yeah, and it's not. It doesn't justify its time. That was my main concern with it. I liked what it was doing and what it was exploring, and it was interesting. Yeah. I think I have a bitterness towards it as well because I loved The Menu. And The Menu is such a similar film in terms of theme, uh, ideas, even mm. tone. Um, even the odd scene is actually quite similar, really, here and there. Mm. But The Menu is a remarkably tight screenplay with remarkably tight you know, editing and, and like cinematography. It's all so well put together and crafted and um, but God forbid the menu is a far more like entertaining, easy watch and therefore <laughs> less worthy of awards recognition. The menu, frankly, should have is been it also up. less European and full of lots of different nationalities yeah. and paid for by <laughs> lots of different countries. <laughs> yeah. But quite frankly, the menu the menu is one of those films that might just have snuck a like a screenplay nomination at the Oscars if it was lucky. And it didn't. Mm. But it deserved to. It's it's it deserves to be in the conversation more, I would say, than Triangle of Sadness, quite frankly. So I think that just wound me up. Anyway, what would you give it, Alan Triangle? Triangle of Sadness. Um, I gave it a seven, hmm. and I absolutely okay. would be uh, this down the line eight in terms of my personal enjoyment of the kind of general concept. It was just too long, so you know it dragged it all out. So it's kind of dropped to a seven for me. I think we all saw a very similar film then, because I'm going to be giving it a seven as well. I completely agree with everything that Saul said about the menu, which I vastly uh, preferred, and I, I felt like it was a bit more uh, biting. Um, and concise with its satire. Also, again, I can't recommend enough The White Lotus. Um, the White Lotus is pretty much just act two of this film. It is a lot of just rich people at a hotel and nothing much really happens. Um, I, I did find it quite funny, the film, but I'm not a fan of scatological humour, so that whole, like, 20-minute chunk was very, um... Yeah, I, I, I didn't love that. <laughs> All right, Elvis. What's what's the next least amount of water in one of these films? <laughs> oh well, well, the Fablemans. Okay, great. The Fablemans. Oh, there's a beach scene. Yes. Yeah, there's a whole what, scene at the beach, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, I, I would have thought all quite on the Western like Front, but there's lo there's lots of puddles and moisture. Yeah, it's just puddles. lots of rain. Puddles not as big as the sea, Calvin. The puddles not as big as the sea. <laughs> I'm with Elvis <laughs> on this one. I think true. he's I think he's right. You know what, right. Calvin? He's got you there. 
Yeah, yeah, he has. Yeah, I can't. Uh, yeah, come back from that. Even several puddles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, I went to the cinema to see the Fablemans, Ooh, uh, which is the first that. time I think I've deliberately gone to the cinema for a mid-budget drama in about. Uh, Did you do that because Steven Spielberg told you to? Uh, well, I went to the cinema to see it, and I tell you what, a lot of people did, because it was a really fucking busy screening, and I didn't think... That's interesting. I didn't think The Fablemans was going to bring out the, you know, butts on seats, really, but it was one of the busiest screens I've been to in a while. It was very Spielberg good. has a draw still. Yeah. Was your hmm. one busy, Calvin? No, no, there were about seven of us in there, and I think... Five of us were just there by, our, by ourselves. I did go to a morning Seven's like, Sunday. Seven's pretty busy, though, isn't it? Really, but this day and age. <laughs> it, it wasn't enough to have any sense of atmosphere. Uh, mm. So there were no... I, I, can't, I couldn't tell you if jokes were working on a crowd level or anything like that. Um, yeah. yeah, but we did get the... Uh, you must have had it too, Steven Spielberg coming yeah. up at the front of the film to say, thank you so much for coming to a cinema to watch this thank film. Thank you. The cine- this movie is a love letter to cinema, and thank you so much. Is it? <laughs> is that what you, is that what this is, Stephen? Because I'm glad like you that said that. Because really. I'm yeah, I, I, I really than a director making a love letter to cinema and expecting a mainstream audience to appreciate it. <laughs> hey, I'm all I'm all for a love letter to cinema, but if that's what yeah, you're that's because you're a it. film enthusiast. This might surprise you, Alan. I, I think there's probably a lot of crossover with people who love watching films and people who are enthusiastic about like <laughs> films enough to want to see a love letter to them. Um, I don't <laughs> think there is actually. Um, no, right, uh, well, Sol, it sounds like we're very much on the same page because my impression coming out of this was, oh wow, okay, that was a fairly all right sort of strained marriage drama with an irritating subplot about a kid who wants to be a director, like just shoved in the middle. I didn't feel like it really dug deep enough into its subject matter because I thought I was going to come away with like, this is like, how many directors get the chance to do this? I thought that this was going to be like, oh wow, this is Steven Spielberg telling us like what cinema is to him and I never really felt like it went much deeper than surface level. It all just felt very obvious and maybe that is is Steven Spielberg in in, in a lot of ways, but um, I was very underwhelmed by this. Well, Mm. it it really... (sighs) In a very snarky way, I, I was going to be like, I'll tell you what it is, Calvin. It's a $400 million therapy session. That's what it fucking is. <laughs> but um, I've since heard Spielberg, since seeing the film, I've since heard Spielberg use that phrase himself, which I'm very annoyed about. He he, he beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> took the wind out, took the, took the strength out of my punch. Um <laughs> But I, I do want to say, um, and I've mentioned this in numerous places already, I do just want to put this out there because it's bizarre. I listened to Spielberg on Desert Island Discs, right? <laughs> this yeah. year. Uh, or last year, whenever it was he was out promoting the Fablemans. He unironically, right? He, Steven Spielberg is 76 years old, okay? His Bring dad died in, in, I believe, 2020. His mum died maybe, <sighs> maybe three years before that, I think. Um, mm. He unironically, repeatedly called himself an orphan. He mm. wasn't joking. He kept being like, well, you know, when you're an orphan, that well, that's what it's like being an orphan. It's like, what the fuck are you talking well, about? I mean, I guess... Technically correct, you've got to be a child. No, no, no. <laughs> I looked it up and he's technically incorrect. Technically, orphan refers to 18 and under. You have to be a child. Oh, really? oh yeah. interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm, okay. I thought he was technically correct and it was weird, but then I looked it up and he's... No, he's just wrong. 
Strange man. What an odd man. <laughs> sure can make a film, though. Well, this no. this really undercut my... Look, right? We I think we spoke about this with West Side Story. It is... It's lovely to see Spielberg this energized, this like caring about what he's making. It's he hasn't felt this way since like I don't know Jurassic Park, Schindler's List. It, like he's been a long while since it felt like Spielberg gave a shit. And um, mm. I really like that he wants to make this film. He clearly it means a lot to him. On the other hand, it just really highlighted that like yeah, he can't do nuanced drama, can he? He can't do drama. <laughs> He can do big mm. spectacle family films, but the second you get into like character pieces and uh, emotionally driven stuff, he he just it just kind of falls flat. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't. I mean, I, I I was engaged with the characters and the stories, but I felt like overall the, it didn't say anything. I don't know what yeah. why mm. I was watching it, why it was made. Uh, you know, what's the point? Well, there's no. There's no real narrative. It it, it felt yeah. like your classic. This film is undone because it's based on real life. Except, yeah, it's not based on real life. It's a it's about the fate. It's not about the fucking Spielbergs, is it? It's the Fablemans. Like these are fictional characters. They just happen to be very heavily inspired by, and that even the the Fable right Sammy Fableman makes these little short films that like we watch him make. I looked up on IMDb when I was done Steven Spielberg's like early, you know, Super 8 short films and so on. One of them is like the real film in this film. One of them is like the title of the film and it is a film Sammy uh, Fableman makes in this film. The other ones are clearly like fictionalized versions, but even that is like like either make them all fictional or make him Spielberg. Do you know like it's it's weird. <laughs> This is a world where it's just bizarre. There are a lot of moments in the film, because I've heard that as well, like it's not completely autobiographical. It's not just the names have changed. It'd be like me writing a film and the main character makes a podcast and it's diminishing returns (laughs) and then we play a clip from it and it's just this. It's weird. (laughs) There are a lot of moments in it that feel just so oddly specific that, oh, that must have really happened. Like, Did you like the Wayne's World bit? Uh, what's that? Where, where the bully, he's talking to the bully outside, and then the bully's like, don't you dare put this in one of your movies. And then Sammy goes, oh, yeah. oh gee, I'd never do that. And then he like looks at the camera and winks, and there's like a little beat. <laughs> and, the, and the audience did laugh he in did. the cinema that I saw it in. He did not look at the camera and wink, I just want to make that clear. <laughs> yeah, no. You yeah. might as well have done. There was a beat. There was a real like boop 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 in the score. It was it was so <laughs> awkward. There's a few mm. moments like that where the film like the film leans so hard on the fourth wall that it like knocks it over. I, I didn't feel it was too bad for all that stuff because I, really? I was hoping. What about the final I, I, shot? No, I was hoping that it would be like we see Sammy Fableman and he befriends a little alien, um, <laughs> and then he's. You know, he's learning about the Holocaust. Yes, like, he's been told yes, about the Holocaust yes. by his grandparents, and then a little girl in a red coat runs past. And then he's reading a book about dinosaurs. I was, yeah, I was just like... Well, it was uh, that to an extent. I, it was basically that, but with, like, all the father-son relationship issues in his films. It's just, it's like, oh, so that's why he made Catch Me If You Can, okay. And he gets sucked into <laughs> the television. Um... um. 
I thought it was very disjointed, but yeah, it's very watchable. Mm. Uh, the cast are all fine. Um, <laughs> you know what? I'm really not. I'm really not convinced by Paul Dano. Can we just put that out there? Ooh, I thought <laughs> what, it was interesting all? to see. I, I don't know the last thing I saw him in, apart from Batman. When he did I think the, the Riddler, and he was fucking dreadful. Yeah, he was I'm a dreadful that. Riddler. Oh, he was um, awful as the Riddler. It was nice to see him again. I think. Yeah, he's alright. Judd, Judd Hirsch had a bit of a scene-stealing role. That Look, was the... I, I like Paul Dano, and I'm rooting for him. I want him to succeed. And it, it hurts to to have to watch him every time he's like trying to play <laughs> something, and it's just like, what are you doing? It was weird seeing him right, as a son, dad, because I, th- I think of him Let's go out for some like... chocolate-frosted milkshakes, kid. <laughs> alright, boy. It was weird seeing him as a dad, because I do think of him as that little Miss Sunshine, awkward teenager character. And I think yeah, he probably is the same really. age as Michelle Williams. But... He doesn't look right in a in a in a tie. He looks like Mr. Mackey yeah. out of South Park, where his head's like ballooning out of the shirt because <laughs> it's too tight around his little neck. Mm. Um, I thought the performances were great, though. I thought uh, both Williams <laughs> and Dano were uh, very good. Like, if if there's yeah. any part of this film that I was really into, it was their relationship drama. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I it was it was fine. I'll tell you what the best performance is in it actually. Um, David Lynch. Yeah, he should stop <laughs> yeah. acting, yeah. shouldn't he? Stop making yeah. films. He can't do that. But he's an alright <laughs> actor. <laughs> yeah, that was good actually. That um end scene did really kind of encapsulate a lot of my issues with the film. Like, I'm sure that 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 is probably something that actually happens. Steven Spielberg probably did meet John Ford, and he probably got that very that scene kind of encapsulated a lot of my issues with the film in general. Really, the fact that he gives him a piece of fairly useless advice, I would say. It's it's yeah. sort of um you know uh, surface level um observation but the fact that sammy kind of walks away from that like oh wow i've just you know the gold dust that just poured out of that man and it's like i can see the matrix now that's how we're ending this and there's just no self-awareness about yeah john ford was probably a, just a grumpy old man who just couldn't be bothered with um with such things and he was just being glib or whatever uh, like yeah, it's, and then the well, the final moment is a gag, isn't it? It's he walks away. John Ford gives him the yeah. advice of frame your horizon as like at the top or the bottom, otherwise it's boring. Mm. And then the yeah. final, the final shot is the horizon framed in the middle, and then the the camera like sort of awkwardly goes oh shit and like moves. Wayne Wayne from Wayne's World is operating the camera for that scene. <laughs> there was another bit um, where, again, I was like, oh, this is the moment where we really... It's where he's making one of his uh, films with his uh, school friends, and he's giving oh, God, yes. direction to one of the yes. actors. And I, I thought, it. oh, wow, this... This this is um this like the, the the he calls cut and the actor continues to walk as if he's in character. Yeah. Um, and I thought I thought this was going to be some kind of comment on the direction or like Sammy was going to yeah. have this revelationary moment about like oh my god this guy got so into this character I thought that it was but it was just a gag it was like oh no he's continued walking because I guess he hasn't heard them or something. It's such a bizarre um, tangent. It's a lovely scene and it's like okay he's learning yeah. to like you know, direct. He's learning to engage with people, and he gets this amazing mm. performance out of this kid, and and then you know, he doesn't even film it. It's just yeah, it's just, it doesn't even come back later. It's bizarre. Yeah. Uh, so, so that was a lot of my issues with it, that I want I wanted this to be um, some, this, a kind of revelationary thing, because uh, like I say, how many times do directors get to make a film like this about their lives and their art? It just it doesn't happen on this scale. 
Um, but, you know, I, I liked enough some of the melodrama relationship stuff. Funnily enough, Kevin Smith pretty much did last year. Same year. Oh. Clerks mm-hmm. 3 is pretty much the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. Although using, um, well, yeah, using fictional characters to tell his story of making clerks and getting into filmmaking. Yeah, it's... That's what Kevin Smith's always done, though. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Smith did it better, though, dare I say. And that's not great, is it? Um, it's a five out of ten from me. This is probably my least favorite of the Oscar films that I've seen so far. Yeah. Well, I'd give mm. Clerks three an eight out of ten. I'd give this a very weak <laughs> seven out of ten. So Spielberg, mm. mate, come on, sort it out. Yeah, I gave it a five as well. Hmm. And it was all quite engaging, and it feels well made as you'd expect, but it just felt pointless. I wasn't. Mm. It wasn't. Yeah. It had nothing to say. Mm. Well, yeah, I agree. I I don't think it deserves to be anywhere near the Oscars. I think it's only there because you know it's Spielberg, and hey, I can understand that. I get it, but it shouldn't be there, really, should it? Hmm. All right, next least water, I reckon, is uh, is Tar. What do you think, Elvis? Oh, you ain't nothing but a tar. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, that's Tar. I think. We've complained a lot about films that take too long. Do you know why there's water in tar? Because she has she has a dream in it, and she's in a, like a big pond. She drinks a lot <laughs> like of water a lagoon. Oh pills. yes, yeah, I forgot about that whole bit. All the dreams are water, aren't they? They're, ooh, film in the dream on the water, so we know it's not quite. It's a bit uh, otherworldly. Ooh. Right, so. I went into this film, I, I watched it because it was on the list of nominees, I didn't know anything about it. I, I knew that it was about a conductor, and I knew it, I knew it was too long. He's going to go off, Calvin, he's going to go off, I can tell. He's no, I, so I sit down in the cinema, and it starts with five minutes of credits, and oh, I yeah, just good. thought... Kill Reminded me, me of Star Trek, the motion picture, which I really like that, I like that, it's getting you into the mood. The credits were backwards. Which was really weird. Like, it started with the acknowledgements. I didn't like that because it ruined the gag at the end for me. Because <laughs> mm. I, I, I sat in the cinema and I was, I made it, I normally sit at the back of the cinema, but for Tar, for whatever reason, I was like, I'm going to sit close and like really take this <laughs> in as like a sensory fucking <laughs> overload. Um, <clears throat> and, I, mm. and I sat, you know, sort of middle towards the front. And then, and then right up front, it was like, Capcom Monster Hunter <laughs> thanks to Capcom. I was like, what? Monster Hunter? Okay. Mm. Uh, so that mm. did somewhat undercut the ending for me. But anyway. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, that was just ridiculous. And set the tone of we're going to take too long for everything and we don't care about the viewer. That's mm. what that says to me immediately. So it put me in a bad place. Now, it won me over, but it took mm. an hour to do that because that's mm. about when the plot starts. Well, I, so I, I I know kind of where you're getting from, but I I found every individual scene and moment so compelling that it was hard for me to care. I I, I was very aware of the clock uh, as I was watching it. I did check my phone once or twice just to see what time it was. Um, and that was pure, not because I was like bored, because it was too long, just because I was like, 
well, I'm, I'm enjoying this, but I really hope there's some semblance of, like, plot. <laughs> and the plot hasn't really started to take shape yet, and we're, like, two hours in, so what's going on? <laughs> and it, I think it does actually all kind of come together relatively nicely, but um, there's a lot of... It's, it's a very... It's a very opaque film. It's not. It's not particularly straightforward what it's all doing, and there's a lot. I've noticed to a there. few, and we've already talked about some of them in, in this year's nominees that are not that are not traditionally structured. I guess in the sort of way that we expect, mm. and that is a very specific kind of Western thing, anyway. And I'm all right with that. Actually, I quite like that concept, but there are. It's a bit too experiential oh look we're just building atmosphere we're just sort of creating this oh yeah opaque world i think everything in the film is relevant in some way and comes back in some capacity more or less maybe one or two moments i could lose but um you know even even the stuff you could potentially cut and it would still work you know for example there's a scene where she's running uh, just exercising, and then she she hears a woman screaming in the woods, and she sort of um, she's like concerned, you know, as you would be, and then she sort of runs towards it, and then she kind of stops and thinks, and then kind of looks very guilt ridden, but like doesn't do anything, and then it just kind of gets on with it. Like scenes like that on the surface don't. There's no obvious plot reason for that to be there. It's never mentioned again, but. The film is a character study, you know, and it's really exploring um, the relationship, you know, this character has to to, to uh, trauma and abuse, uh, abuse of power. Um, and, and so I think stuff like that is, you know, I'd, I'd really have to, I'd probably have to watch it again and really think about it, but I'm sure there's some deep meaning to that i've seen a lot of people completely misreading things and then you know other things click and make perfect sense for them and so i'm sure there's you know that going on with me i'm sure i'm completely missing stuff as well a friend of mine watched um that bit with at the end she goes into a a massage parlor she needs a massage for her back and Mm. the guy gives Mm. her a, a massage parlor uh, mistaking what she's asking for, really. They say, go and pick the, the masushi one from the, the fish bowl, they call it. And she goes and looks, and all these women are numbered and sat out in formation, and then it cuts to her... Uh, she looks at number five, who looks back, and then it cuts to her running out and being sick. And my friend watched it and said, like, oh yeah, so she, she's, she hates seeing women be abused, uh, and that's relevant. And I was like, well, no, it's because it like completely one-to-one mirrors her orchestra doesn't it in front of her it's like mm. a really nice metaphor for how she was viewing her uh, her orchestra as like you know a, a shopping uh a supermarket of pieces of meat and she could just sort of be like well i'll sleep with her but my point is there's so much to kind of read into everything here but then as a result of that it's very easy to misread or to misunderstand things and i i'm sure i've missed stuff on my first viewing so it's a difficult film to talk about here because it's it's mm. very dense. Oh, I, I completely agree with you, Sol, because this is one of those films that there's another Oscar film uh, that we're going to be talking about in the next installment that had this same effect on me, but uh, I, I just can't wait to watch it again, really. Um, and I think a big part of that is because, as you say, it's the plot of what this is going to be about really doesn't become apparent until about two hours into this two and a half hour film. And yeah. up until that point, it's so 
the structure is so uh, non-typical and you're mm. not quite sure what's exposition and what isn't. It doesn't present itself in a way that you expect. And it goes beyond that in the the genre of the film will almost oscillate wildly from scene to mm. scene as well, you know? It, like, it'll suddenly start a new scene and it'll be like a horror film and it's like, mm. oh, okay. And then yeah, there's all this stuff into... about her. She's kind of hearing things, maybe, and she's not quite yeah. sure. This kind of—it's very deliberately confusing. Way better upset by a fridge scene than we got in Joker. Um, remember, when he, <laughs> remember how shit Joker was, and he just climbed inside the fridge because he's crazy. Oh, I'm a mad Joker. Mm. I'm getting in the fridge. Look at me, I'm mental. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> In in this film, it was like a really kind of relatable. I've done that. Have you? You never had that where you kind of like usually at night, you're like, "What the fuck is that noise?" And then you follow it, and it's like, "Oh, the fucking fridge is like vibrating and humming mm. against the cabinet." And oh, shut the fuck up, fridge. Do you never have that? <laughs> no. Found it very relatable. <laughs> I would love to do some kind like break some of the scenes down in this because it does open with like there's very long credits and then there's two very long scenes that begin it, which is um the character yeah. Tar is being interviewed and then there's a scene where she's giving a lecture in front of some students and they do yes, kind of they yeah. do a good job of kind of setting her up and setting up some of the themes that are going to be explored. Um, I would love to just like look at it on a graph and see like if the if the the duration of scenes gets shorter and shorter as the film goes along. Oh, it or... certainly felt that it did. Really felt it feels like way. some kind of deliberate construction yeah, that it like opens that way. Of, uh, pace. I think that's, that. I think that's to weed people out. I think it's like let's knock <laughs> knock people out early, and then mm. it's only the hardcore that will appreciate it that will get through to the end. Uh, quite possibly, but I think it's a testament. To, like I, I think Kate Blanchett is fairly phenomenal in this part, and I'm oh, this, sort this of is like the, uh, this is the best performance um, of the year, I would say. I've, I'm a big fan of, uh, well, we'll talk about it next time, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and I love Michelle Yeoh in that film, but seeing this, I was like, ooh, I think yeah. there might be an upset. Because <laughs> um, I think yeah. what Kate Blanchett does in this film is just phenomenal, uh, just yeah. I- incredibly impressive. Yeah, um, it's a real monster of a character, <laughs> and she really has to go to some depths. Yeah. It, it really reminded me of, uh, of Walter White. It really felt like mm. that same, oh, here is a reprehensible human being, but they're kind of mm. fucking badass, and now I'm kind of torn mentally between, like, do I aspire towards this horrible person? I'm clearly not supposed to. Um, a lot of people are going to think she's really cool and emulate her. Uh, they probably shouldn't. Um, and and also she kind of, you know, she kind of gets caught in a prison of her own creation and it kind of spirals out of control and then has a degree of comeuppance at the end. Yeah, I know? felt it was quite a satisfying ending. Um... It, was a, it was bizarrely humorous. Like, it's a full-on joke. The final. Oh, scene. it's a punchline. Yeah, yeah I, I, I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't familiar with the thing. I wasn't hugely. I know I saw them in the credits, but it I just knew of, it like, was a stupid thing. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. what a crushing, you know, fall from grace. Well, it's yeah, it's, it's a video yeah. game. You know, that's the joke. It's music from a video game. It's Monster Hunter Fall. The, the ultimate, <laughs> the ultimate insult to a composer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, I, I I really liked it. I loved it, in fact. Um, I thought the performances all round were... You mm. know what, actually? Can I... can I um, Let's talk about something that was 
bollocks, actually, and really ludicrous, and I don't think it was supposed to be funny, but it was, like, really badly done and just hilarious. Oh? Why's Mark Strong got hair? (laughs) (laughs) What are they doing? Why have they put hair on him? But other than that, uh, great, <laughs> great. I wasn't hugely convinced by the actor playing the. Uh, was she a cellist? The 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 young woman that she. A Russian of, oh, the, cellist. Yeah. yeah, Russian. I don't know if if that actor's just phenomenal at playing that instrument, and that's kind of why they came. You, you need or... that was it. They're obviously, all these actors are playing. It's all like legitimate stuff. So you need someone who can play a cello and is like twenty two or whatever she is. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Something I want to give this film credit for. You know, we've spoken on the show before about like you know Citizen Kane. Is that good opera singing? Is it bad opera singing? Or soul? Is that good jazz? Is that bad jazz? I don't know. I'm always blown away. When a film can, like Black Swan, I remember doing it, it can make you watch something you have no interest in, no familiarity with, ballet in that case, and be like, oh wow, that is amazing. And I had Mm. that with this. I was like, oh fuck, that is fucking good cellist like playing that's r- cello well, playing it's amazing mm, I, I think. on that note can i ask you guys a question bear in mind that you've watched tar <laughs> what does a conductor do <laughs> they drive the drive the train of the and orchestra, and, and let me put it this to you after we've watched this film should we have a better idea feels like we should <laughs> She kind of explain. I I kind of felt vaguely like I knew, and then she explains it at the start, like, "No, you don't have a fucking clue. Look, it's this," and I was like, "Oh, mm. that sounds a lot more basic and simple, really, than I thought it was." And then as I watched that, that, it, in the film, I, I was think... like, "Oh, this seems really basic and easy." Well, that's my point. How do you know? And bear in mind, I don't know anything about music or anything, so I'm, I appreciate I'm coming from a place of ignorance. What is the difference between the good conductor and a great conductor? Well, I I must admit the the one Apart area the, the this robots. film. <laughs> the one area this film kind of lost me was the notion that uh, she would have enough celebrity about her as a conductor to like <laughs> to even be fun, in the public, public eye. Full stop. I just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I don't that. think you know people don't go and see Hans Zimmer because he's like you know they go and see him because he composed film music and when you watch Hans Zimmer and his orchestra he'll hop on the electric guitar and like shred some like guitar solos in front of you like. <laughs> You know, I don't think conductors have the capacity to achieve celebrity in that way. So I did think that was well. There were there was a couple back in the day. I remember like there's one there was one you know that was on the TV all the time. Uh, I can't remember his name. (laughs) The whole celebrity thing didn't bother me too much because I it it was still like it, it felt like yeah I'm sure that in New York or Germany or wherever there would be this elite you know group of people oh, who I, would I, be I, very into that. It's kind of you know I it's think, opera. Well, I have no idea who's an opera star or, or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, within the insular yeah. music world, I could totally buy she was a mm. superstar. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The other yeah. the other sort of weak bit for me was the the video that kind of blows it all up. <laughs> that it's was such bollocks. a crap. <laughs> obviously, her sweet sister, sweet can, sweet 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 can. Was, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that felt too weak. But yeah, no just, one just in a to... million fucking years would ever, ever fall for that. It would be like a joke. And then the fact that she's like, it's clearly fake. Just look at the position of the act. No, just fucking watch it. It's clearly yeah. fake. <laughs> and then the and then the other person on the board sort of goes, 
well, that might be so, but, uh, and it's like, no, it's clearly fake. Anyone, my granddad would be, like, would watch that and go, well, that's clearly edited. But the, the scene that that is taken from, actually, um, was a very peculiar scene because it was a huge long shot with lots of camera movement and very choreographed, which, mm. in a way, I liked, but it also felt like a gimmicky, I'm showing off what a great director I am kind of vibe, as opposed to it feeling like it really meant anything. Well, the camera. I felt like it was showing off the performances more than anything yeah, else. Yeah, I, I uh, didn't find it gimmicky. It, it made me feel like I was a observer in the room, you know? It, it got to a point where I was just watching the camera movement rather than what was happening, really. And I think that's I when that you've way. gone too far. Mm. Um and I, you know, it was kind of a, oh, this is interesting. Um, what's going on here? Kind of thing. It wasn't like I liked it in that sense, mm. but I was a bit like, mm, feel, feels just do, done for its own sake rather than for a, a particular narrative can, reason. Can I ask as well, what's going on with Alec Baldwin having weird little cameos and Best Picture nominees lately? Why does he keep doing that? How how does was he, he in this? It? Apparently, I I, did, I missed it. He's he's a voice of himself, like hosting a podcast or something. I think. At one oh god! Point. Well, there was the we missed that. No, I missed it as well. I, was, I didn't register it, and but I saw him in the credits. So I was like, what? And that yeah, he's here on IMDb. And obviously, mm-hmm. he he had a similar similar capacity role in uh, Black Klansman and uh, Star Is Born a few years ago. He's mad for it. Hmm. Can I ask a quick? This is totally off topic, and we can't stay on it for long. Yeah, yeah, Alec yeah. Baldwin, what's going on? Um, the because Republicans fa- have successfully like taken him down because don't, he don't get me into your conspiracy theories. <laughs> but no, I from what I heard last I heard he was he's actually going to be charged for the shooting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But from what I heard at the time, there was like it wasn't his fault, right? It was just yeah, it's ludicrous. Um, the, the, he he shot and killed a, a woman on set. It was a horrible accident. Um, it is the responsibility of the arms uh, handler on set to not give you a fucking loaded gun. Mm. I still don't know how that even happens. That they well, this is this is what I it. wanted to ask. That right? is so absurd, like degrees of negligence. I don't know how that even happens. It is wild. There's quite a few I mean, layers you have to get through to do it. Like there shouldn't yeah. even be a gun that is loadable, really. Like yeah. you use fake yeah. guns. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's certainly not the actor's responsibility to be familiar with a gun. You know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. In terms of the actual charge, like as an actor, you give like you have you take the gun and you 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 know you you assume the responsibility is being taken by the armor you have you have to assume yeah. they're doing their job properly right so it's not his fault as an actor but yeah. is he the producer of the film he is a producer and is, on the and, film, is yes. and that's the point they're getting at that he are they establishing that's... that the producers have have hired an armor who was not properly qualified or they yes. were, they weren't etc cetera, etc cetera. so he's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, being yeah. charged as a producer really more than the actual he pull is, the trigger kind of thing. i believe he's one of multiple producers but they're making an example of him they're going after him and i specifically they're going after him it's republicans going after him because they don't like him because he's a very outspoken democrat and he played donald trump on saturday night live for years so he's become a target for them to take down and i don't think that's particularly um conspiratorial that's that's you know it's just they're they're using every bag of tricks they can to take him down the same way they tried to get bill clinton for having a blowjob you know it's like it's come on um and yeah successfully they they've kind of pulled the right strings to get him but it's a 
ludicrous case and it, it shouldn't um okay Right. He shouldn't just, really be I just, on the line. The he's one of, I'm just looking it up, he's one of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 producers on that film. So, yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. But okay. he did pull the trigger. And their argument is largely, you should know enough about guns if you're handling one to know that it's like not a blank or whatever, but it's kind of the armorer's job, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So let's let's rate Tar, then. I loved it. I'm, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10, and that's a very firm 8 out of 10. And uh, not to give too much away, but it's, I think, my second favourite film out of these nominations. Mm. Mm. Um, high praise from me as well. I'm going to give it a 9, uh, with Whoa. the possibility of that even going up to a 10 at some point in the future. As I say, I'm quite keen to revisit this at some point. Um, Either second or third favorite for me um, of the Oscar nominees that I've seen so far. Yeah, wow. I'm giving it a seven. Uh, the hmm. the long duration has knocked me down there. I I just I could have done with half an hour. I could have done with an hour less, frankly. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I, but I know I know I, what I you're getting at. And like yeah. I say, it really it won me over because it started yeah. rough and it, it drew me in, and that says something. Great performances, mm. particularly the, the central performance there. Some really nice moments. I like Todd Field. I respect that, you know, he makes a film his way or he doesn't at all and he hasn't made a film for 15 years. I respect that. <laughs> like, mm. I feel like he's doing this for the art. So, but it, it's one of those where, yeah, just, let's just have a little edit on it, eh? Let's just, let's just pull this one down <laughs> a bit. Um, but yeah, I do know what you mean, though. I feel like if I watched it again, I would get even more out of it. Um, I went into it mm. totally blind, so I wasn't. I didn't know what to expect. I probably won't mm. watch it again though, because it's nearly three hours long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, shall we move on to the final film of this instalment? Uh, yeah. What, what's the last film, Elvis? Wise men, all quiet on the Western Front. Mm. Okay. Mm. All right. That's. Uh, I mean, it's not wise men all quiet on the Western Front. It's, it's all quiet on the Western Front. But uh, thank you. Okay. But wise good comedy character, that. this, isn't it? It's really good. Should we, should we put some... I know that this is uh, adapted from a novel. Uh, have either of you two seen the original uh, oh, yeah, All Quiet yeah, yeah. on the Rest and Front course, movie? Yeah. The um, Oscar yeah, winner from... of uh, 1930 or 31, I believe? Yeah, one of the first. Not only have I seen it, Calvin, I saw it a long time ago when I was sort of watching classic films. And really ah. enjoyed it, actually. Yeah. Well, I watched it after watching this film. Um, in a kind of, oh, I'm going to revisit that now because I it's been a long time since I watched it and it's an absolute classic in the in the, well, in the um, canon. You, so, you, were, you were complaining about films getting longer these days, Alan, but mm. I mean, how do you square that with the fact that All Quiet on the Western Front from 1930 is two hours and 32 minutes long? Well, that's the beauty of 1930. You don't, you don't watch the whole... You just you go in halfway through, watch a bit of it, go out, have a fag, <laughs> come back, <laughs> come back later, watch the cartoon. This this remake is four minutes shorter. I know. It's disgrace. Wow. I don't... I, I say I watched All Quiet on the Western Front, the, the 1930 film, fairly recently. I'm still talking a few years ago. Um, mm. So I don't really remember much of it beyond that I liked it. Uh, but... Mm. Based on this not jogging any real memory, I think it's a real kind of ground up. Uh, we're going back to the novel. It doesn't bear mm. much resemblance to the other film. Would that is that fair, Alan? I don't think it bears much resemblance to the novel particularly, actually. But mm. um, it's you know all the same ingredients are there, um, but it's approached quite differently. The original, yeah. 
you know, just just to put it in its time, like the cinematography is fantastic and, and, and the way it's shot and all this sort of stuff. But I think really the, the, the most important thing, and it doesn't really have anything to do with the quality of the film, you tell this story in 1930 and it has mm-hmm. a power and it has a resonance that it does not have in 2023. And mm. I that is just not... I think it has a Go power on. and a resonance now as well. Yeah, but about a million times less than in 1930. Well, I guess in that it's removed from this direct war. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think just like firsthand, uh, you know, experience of it. And as far as I'm aware, I've not seen the original film, but I understand that the novel was kind of, you know, telling it like it was, like really in the trenches. And it might have been quite revolutionary for people to see and hear what it was actually like and it wasn't like the propaganda there's a fairly one-to-one line you can draw between the conflict here and you know russia ukraine for example you know i think it still kind of applies yeah in the sense that any and war do you know what it's like about to any fight war, in the but... russia ukraine war so well no but do you know what it's no, like to don't. fight in world war one alan i mean what's your point but no but people in 1930 who went to watch this film did a lot mm. of people. And yeah. even those people who lived through it and were at home and have, have, have seen men come back and, and you know, cr- crushed. Or... I, I think I think relevance is probably, uh, Alan, correct me if I'm wrong, Like because I, 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 I think I um, have a similar uh, opinion to you. I, it would have been more relevant um, in terms of what it exposed about the conditions yeah. on the Western Front, as well as the relatability of if people themselves didn't have the first-hand experience of being that, they would have lived through that war. Mm-hmm. There was war coming up in you know, Europe again with Germany, obviously. Um, I think it was probably a bit more pertinent and topical, because one of my big issues with this version of the film is that, and I feel awful for saying this, but it is kind of like, all right, yeah, I know that war is hell, and I've seen many... World War One, you know, the trenches, 1917 springs to mind from just a few years ago. What is it about this one that? Why did this film have to happen now? Yeah. I guess is my uh, yeah, exactly. Big it's, question. It's, what What's the point of making this film now? And mm. yeah, saying war is hell in 2023 is not. You're not exactly putting your head over the parapet. Yeah, well, it's more than that. I think it's it's not just war is horrible. It's war is futile and and largely pointless. You know, I think is more the kind of sentiment here. Yeah, and saying that in 1930 was still taboo. And and, but then all these people who were like, "Oh my god, yeah, this is what I've been thinking," and I wasn't allowed to say it for the last 15 years, and that's why I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) I think it's still a pretty uh, valid drum to beat though and like i say i think it i think it is um unfortunately i think it's still a very prescient you know point but it's not we don't we, we, you it know is, we're, we're practically we're on the precipice of we're in a we're in a fucking cold war or whatever you want to call it china's like on the brink of joining in it's like it's it's there's there's a war going on now that's completely pointless and lots of people are dying and, and it's it is relevant Wars are pointless, yeah. Well, not necessarily, but yeah, I mean, I'm not... No, but the Russia-Ukraine war is the first war in a while that really is just like this. It is just some big, 
like oh man i like we well let's go get that over there and take that you know it's not it's but you're, you're talking about um, you know have any idea how many people died well you should have because it said it at the end of this film what was it 40 million people or something that the scale of death in the first world war was completely unprecedented and, yeah. it, and it and it changed the world and it changed the way that wars were fought and it it af- affected swathes of society a, gener- a generation of men um and the families that had to deal with them all right let's talk about remembrance then do you know do you think remembrance is you know worth getting into and you know i'd What's much rather they make a film like this every few years instead of forcing us to buy a poppy <laughs> well, well yeah i mean yeah at what point do we stop doing that have you ever been <laughs> have you been to a remembrance day parade no, I watch films like this, and then I sort of ruminate on it and go, "Fucking hell, that's bleak, isn't it?" Yeah, but like, I think that's my main issue with this, and I will get onto the positives about it. But just into like, yeah, why this film and why now um, is because yes, war is bleak and horrific, and there are a few sequences in this that I think do a really, really good job conveying that. I think it's as much a horror film as it is a war film, but. I, I don't think it has anything to say about the wars that we face today because World War One was such a specific thing um, that I just don't really understand why this is here I now. I think I think you can sort of translate the futility of war from World World War One's a great yeah. example of the futility of war because it is yes World War One is a yes war. yeah no World War One is an example of that because it basically started because of a bunch of treaties uh, that countries yeah, had with one another one bloke got shot the and then that set off a whole load of uh, conflict I feel like the war in Ukraine there is a like you know the Russian invasion of that is in the precedent that that would set if they were to win that I think that there is a bit more point like world war ii was yeah, again on, I think, on one when... side but I'm, I'm really talking more about the russians going in in the first place it's like well, f- right yeah yeah um <laughs> chill out yeah. guys why are you doing that like that that's that classic world war one like oh i fancy that bit of land over there and just sort of go on let's have a fight oh we can do that yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i guess i didn't come out of 1917 feeling like what was the point of that Whereas yeah. this one, I did kind of come out of a bit like I, I, yeah. It feels like uh, I've seen a lot of this before. My theory on why that is, I found this film to be extremely unemotional and impersonal. Mm. Perhaps that was a yeah, deliberate German, choice. But whereas 1917 <laughs> is telling you the story of the war through one person's eyes. Mm. 1917 is a, yeah. a very different film in that sense, though. It's 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 uh, it's like more of a roller coaster, and you're right. You're given a human being to follow. You're very emotionally invested in him. I think you're completely right. Um, this feels cold and emotionless by design. You know, I think I think that's what they were going for. I don't think it's quite fair to. It's not like Avatar two where um, <laughs> you just can't connect with it because it's like badly. Made, <laughs> it's not done well enough, you know. But it, yeah, if it's okay, we've made a film that's deliberately cold and emotionless so that people can't connect with it. All right, success. <laughs> Why have I watched it? <laughs> well, it's cold and emotionless the same way that Tar is. You can still like connect with it, but um, not in the not in quite the same way. Where it's like, oh, I feel like I'm this character and I'm I'm with them on this journey. It's more like, well, all right, um, look, look, let's get into some positives. Tell me what what the positives are here. 
Well, I, I thought the cinema, like talking about the cinematography in the 1930s film, I thought the cinematography here was amazingly good. Um, I thought it was fairly impeccable. Yeah, and I thought the performances were great as well. Yeah, I thought the acting was fantastic. Even Daniel, I mean, I, I I love Daniel Bruhl anyway, but you know, he even makes so much with the like very limited screen time he's got. He is contractually obliged to be in every German film ever. Yes, made. precisely. <laughs> yeah. I think, didn't he ever produce a credit on this as well? I think probably. I saw him in the credits in another role. His presence probably yeah. got it like, funded, I would imagine. Um, yeah. I thought the screenplay, to be perfectly frank, I thought the mechanics of the writing was very good. Um, mm. Now, Calvin, I liked, I, I liked the score. <laughs> I think you hate the score, oh, don't you, Calvin? I hated, I hated it <laughs> like, with, with, with a passion. <laughs> There, it was just, uh, and, and you know, I, I'm sure that that is part of the design of the thing, and it's supposed to sound like you know imposing and um, bleak and all that. But it's uh, to, to, as much like Alan said, congratulations, you've made something that's really awful to listen to. I just can't stand I it. it. I might, yeah. I might add that to a playlist. That <laughs> I, I think I'm dropping in the middle here. I found it quite jarring at points, but it felt like it was you know, intentional, and it worked on that level, so it was. I was fine with it, yeah. It felt like a bold swing as well, you know, I don't think I've seen that kind of thing in period piece kind of films before. I don't know, I just, I, I really enjoyed it as well, you know, I know it's not, it's probably not aiming to be a, a thoroughly entertaining piece of work, exactly, but I found it entertaining far more than uh, most films that we're covering today. So well, I, I um, I, 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 it was missing a real emotional element for me, um, and it meant I just didn't engage with it in any particular yeah. way, and I, I couldn't tell them apart half the time. I didn't know that all these white boys looked the same to me. That I knew that there was well, a young that. one and a, a mustache yeah. one, and that was like that was. There was a glasses one, yeah. When the glasses yeah. one got killed so early on, I was like, "Oh God, I'm in trouble here," because that was one yeah. of the <laughs> easier identifying features. <laughs> well, that's not good, is it? Unless you're trying to make a point that these are all faceless men who were being killed. Um, that feels generous. I have that problem with a lot of films, though, honestly. And <laughs> I, I'm, you know what? I'm glad when they're white, because then I don't feel racist. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm on much the same page as Alan, so I'm going to be interested to see how our ratings um, stand, because I think mine's probably going to come across... Uh, come across? Come across quite generous. Um, so I should say that the thing that did really work about this film for me was the uh, the horror element of it. Uh, I think there were some oh, yeah, sequences yeah. that were just purely... There is a sequence with a bunch of tanks that was just... Mm like, mind-blowingly, like, horrifying. I just thought it was absolutely incredible. But yeah, it missed an emotional uh, element for me. Um, and an hour too long. And an hour too long. So it's a <laughs> seven from me. Uh, yeah, I, you know what I think. Um, I, it, was, it was well made, okay? I just didn't care. Uh, and I feel like it's a, a weird film to make um, at this point. Uh, I gave it a five. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I I I loved it. Yeah. I um talking about the the horror just there. You know, I think it, yeah, it really succeeds in that visceral. Here we are, plonk you down as if you were right there on the battlefield kind of uh film scenes that that everything's been so desperately trying to do ever since Saving Private Ryan nailed it. 
however long ago, and I, I've seen so many films, like, try to do it and just fall on their fucking ass, like, just completely fail. Uh, Hacksaw Ridge comes to mind. Just films trying to do that, that, that gripping, tense thing, and it just, it, it so rarely is pulled off this well. I think this is the best job of it I've probably seen since Saving Private Ryan. Certainly, um, maybe 1917 is, but I don't know. It, it, but yeah, um, so anyway, I, I really loved it. I I, uh, I give it an 8 out of 10. I prefer Tar out of these first five, but uh, yeah, good. Uh, all right, end part one, edit point. Uh, mm-hmm. when, when you're listening Stay to tuned. this, guys, you can stitch this here to the edit point at the start of the next episode and you'll have like a whole Oscar episode. It's pretty good, isn't it? Do you think people really download this and create their own <laughs> files of uh, edited episodes together? No, but edit it together in your head. Like, you know, like when I watch the Evil Dead trilogy back to back, I'm kind of in my head, I'm like piecing it all together like it's one <laughs> film. Do the same with this. Just just put it, put it together in your mind. Mm. What have we got next time? Next time we got uh, Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, uh, Top Gun Maverick. I don't know why I started going Irish. Uh, women talking. All right. Because of the Banshees of Inisherin, that's why you went Irish. It's because I said it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, why I said it. Wow. I do it without realizing that I'm doing it. Did you ever hear? Did you listen? You know, when I was on that radio show to talk about The Simpsons ages ago, and it was mm. it was Irish, and they were like. How are you, Saul? And, and I sort of went, oh, I'm great. I, I'm grand, I said. I, I went, oh. I'm up for the crack, lads. I said, I said like, oh, I'm grand, thanks. And they were like, oh, grand. You, 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 is that because you're talking to Irish people? I was like, oh, no, no I, ha- I used to have an Irish housemate. <laughs> <laughs> Completely, because I was talking to an Irish person. I just said grand. I about it. Anyway, uh, yeah, see you next, next time, guys. See ya. See ya. I just want to, uh, here we go, okay, uh, the studio, I love you, and Cameron Crowe, and uh, Tom Cruise, I love you, brother!